Welcome to the 443rd of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome my friend Russell Farr to discuss living through pandemic days in Texas. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID Calls live. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can also watch COVID Calls live broadcasts on Twitter. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. As always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest, but don't wait too long. We're ending the regular COVID calls broadcasts on March 16th. As of March 2nd, 2022, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center, 85,050 people have died from COVID-19 in the state of Texas. 32,951 have died in New Jersey. 85,557 people have died from COVID-19 in California. I've been reading an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic. And I'd like to continue that reading now. Headline, Beloved North Texas Builder Dies of COVID-19. This was written by Maria Guerrero and published December 20th, 2021 in the NBC DFW affiliate website. A beloved North Texas builder with high profile construction projects under his belt, including AT&T Stadium and Globe Life Field has died of COVID-19. The new home of the Texas Rangers dubbed foreman supervisor Abel Gallegos, the heart of the ballpark. Gallegos left his mark on his family and Texas. He loved this country because of everything it has to offer, said his son, Jaime Gallegos. His father immigrated to North Texas from Mexico in the 1970s. Gallegos later became a US citizen and rose in the ranks of the construction industry in North Texas. He became a foreman supervisor in several high-profile building projects from Kyle Field to the American Airlines Center and Globe Life Field, which hailed project leads, including Gallegos, as the heart of the ballpark. Gallegos had a hand in building his pride and joy AT&T Stadium, where a brick bears his name. He has the shovel that broke ground, just so many things that he accomplished from that stadium and he continued talking about it. It was his pride and joy, his son said. 64-year-old contracted COVID-19 in mid-November 2021, according to his family. He initially was reluctant to get tested, thinking it was the flu. Gallego's condition worsened, and he was hospitalized for two weeks. Gallego's was not vaccinated but had been keeping the virus at bay by wearing a mask and using hand sanitizer wherever he went, according to his son. One of the things he said he couldn't believe it was him. It was because of his carelessness. He let his guard down, his son said. 
going to be a rough Christmas not having him here. He was our brick and mortar. Jim Cudahy of Manhattan Construction spoke with NBC5 about Gallegos, calling him a great man, very humble, cared very deeply about his family. Right behind that, Abel was the best builder I've ever been around in my career. The industry veteran was known for his dedication to his work and crew members, as well as his can-do attitude. There was nothing Abel wasn't able to figure out, said Cudahy. No matter what you brought to Abel, he'd figure out a way to get it done and get it done in a very high quality level. Life of Abel Gallegos, who died in December 2021 of COVID-19. Okay, I'd like to turn to the conversation for today. I've really been looking forward to this one. Let me introduce my guest, Russell Farr. Russ Farr is a graduate of Austin College in Sherman, Texas. He is the father of two fantastic teenagers, and he currently works with Rivian Automotive, the electric vehicle maker that brought the first all-electric pickup truck to market. He is a native Texan, grew up in Arlington, Texas, and he currently lives in Dallas, Texas. Russ Farr, welcome to COVID Calls. Hey, Scott. How are you, man? Good to see you, brother. Thanks for making time for the call. Absolutely. We've been trying to do this for a little while. (laughs) <laughs> I know. We've talked about talking on COVID calls longer than we're going to talk on COVID calls, but that's <laughs> that's for the making of. We'll do that another time. Um, let me start the way I usually do, just find out where you're calling from and what the pandemic looks like. So I am in Dallas, Texas. I live in a neighborhood a couple of miles, not even a couple of miles, about a mile east of downtown called Old East Dallas. Um <sighs> I guess uh, good news um, on our end, uh, after having some of the highest rates in the country for the last two years, rates are coming down, both deaths and infection. Um, We're starting to get in Dallas to where we can relax mask mandates based off of um, the actual numbers being down and not because our state government decides that they needed to tell our local governments what to do, um, which they're pretty big fans of telling us when the federal government wants to get involved in Texas politics, but they're real big on central government when it comes down to uh, things that they believe in. But I won't go down too too deep down that rabbit hole, but uh, we'll, we'll put that there. Um, so yeah, good news that rates are coming down. Um, picked up my son from school today um DISD relaxed their mask mandate uh making making them voluntary and optional uh beginning of this week I believe it might have been Thursday or Friday of last week um and I my son uh some background my son's on the spectrum he's high functioning he's awesome and uh but he gets uh some pretty big bouts of anxiety especially over the last 2 years Um, over everything that's been going on here in Texas. And I asked him how he was feeling now that it wasn't required for him to not wear a mask. And he said, I'm really happy about it. I really get to see, you know, essentially I get to see people's faces and it makes me more comfortable. Um, And that's been actually a bit of a shift for him over the last uh, six months or so for him to get comfortable with that, Um, which it's, you know, on my end, good news to see, um, you know, and locally in Texas here, you know, the, the numbers, especially on paper, 
um, you know, or horrific. Um, I think Dr. Peter Hotez said something, I think back in December, maybe November, that essentially since the beginning of the pandemic, 200 people in Texas have died every day since the beginning of the t- pandemic, which when we put it in those terms, it, you know, it's unimaginable. You can't, you can't imagine what that looks like, except that, you know, one of the things that, you know, has really struck me about COVID is that you don't, you don't see it. I've been extremely fortunate. Um, I've had COVID. Um, I've had people in my family get COVID. No one, everything was mild um, by, by general terms, no hospitalizations. I haven't had anyone close to me pass away from COVID. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, you know, Texas is a very large state. Um, it's very spread out. It's, you know, other big news item right now, you know, it's bigger than Ukraine. Um, it's, it's a big, big place and there's lots of empty space and there's lots of places where COVID didn't even really touch. Um, if you can believe it, I mean, it was there, but when you look at the, you know, the big nature of it, it was like, if you weren't in a big city or an urban population, you were somewhere, you know, out in the Davis mountains. Yeah. It was, it was, it's easy to see how somebody could think it was a rumor. If that makes any kind of sense, if you don't really know what's going on and you don't have it touch you, um, yeah, I'm, but I'm gl- it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm glad you said that because it's you know I was doing a little research before the call, and um, you know I have some hangups about the numbers, but but we use yeah. them as a way to talk about the pandemic and and right. eighty five thousand fifty deaths, almost exactly the same number as California. Yep. Um, and, you know, one thing, you know, what you said there is important because, you know, the national numbers in a country as diverse as the United States geographically, economically, racially, um, I don't think they tell us a very good, I don't think they tell us a very interesting story or important story. If you dive into the state, you could say, okay, this is better, like if you talk about New Jersey, but with Texas, the size of a nation, you have to go deeper than that even. and. and if you look at the sort of death rate by population, Texas is around the middle. It's not even mm-hmm. close. Almost all of the worst states are southern or or by death rate are southern states that did not follow closely or any sort of healthcare precautions in the in the various waves of the pandemic. Texas is in the middle, but I think if you dive deeper in those numbers and look at urban areas, you'll you'll see a different story there. Yeah. And, and I think that's where for me, the kind of political politicalization of the numbers and masks and vaccines and all of that. It's like, I get if you live somewhere that doesn't have any, people in it. (laughs) I mean, that sounds really, really bad. I understand that from, from a certain perspective. Right. But I also understand that why would you want certain mandates put on you when there is no impact in your neighbor, in your area, but because we politicized it now where there are impacts, real impacts in Dallas, in Bayer County, in Harris County, you know, in, in 
in uh, Travis County. We now have to hamstring ourselves because of that. And we have to we have to dictate from above what needs to be happening in our localities as opposed to what's going on. Right. Um, and I also have found it interesting that, you know, like you mentioned in the numbers, you know, California, who had without, you know, without too much debate, some of the most draconian lockdowns of all 50 states and is also the most populous state that we have. And Texas is the second most populous state. And our numbers were the kind of the same. And you're like, it makes you wonder if we're through centralizing that, that control, if we're not actually helping the problem to a certain extent. Um, all that being said, that's not like a ringing endorsement of either thing. I don't think it was, I don't think it is. I don't think, but I think it's, it's like you say, you've got to dive deeper into those numbers than you can. Um, then the numbers, you know, the numbers don't tell an interesting story. You know why? Because they're numbers. <laughs> they're not, they're not people. I mean, and as good and everything, as everything, as the numbers are coming down, you know, I got a text today that uh, on a group thread from some friends of mine of a gentleman I don't even know who passed away last night from COVID-19. And, you know, it's, you still look at those and you're like, well, how, you know, could that have been avoided? How do we do yeah. this? You know, um, how do we protect all the people all the time, but without, you know, I, I don't like using like that personal freedom thing because I don't think it's, it's, it isn't. I mean, we don't have this discussion about secondhand smoke, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, for some reason this gets politicized. Yeah, I think that's, it, I mean, just to, to quickly tie that part up, I mean, if they look at the at the death rates by population, California is, is substantially less than Texas. So, uh, you know, but I think that's, it's, as yeah. you're saying, okay. it's really, you know, in a state like Texas, and I think that's what I want to ask you about next, is sort of your experience there of the politics of this, the politicization of this, mm -hmm. in a state as wildly diverse as Texas is in every way you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you've had, you have a situation. Well, let me throw this out there and see what you think. You have a situation sure. where um, people who either don't perceive COVID risk to be, to have been that important or, or maybe it actually was less important because they live in rural areas and the population density is lower particularly earlier in the pandemic, um, before Early, yes. vaccination, um, that they sort of crafted an ideological response. And then that drove that, that necessarily created the friction in places where Dallas, like Dallas or Houston or San Antonio, that should have been governed exactly the way you would govern Boston or Chicago or New York City. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that does drive it to a certain extent in, in the fact that, There's a, I mean, we're, we're having, I, I'm sure you re realize this as well. You know, we're having this discussion on Texas Independence Day. So, uh, <laughs> which Scott, for those of you who don't know, Scott and I went to high school together. We were raised in the Texas public school system in seventh grade. We get handed a book that is twice the size of our American history book that is called Texas History. And it's, we're one of the few states that do this. And it's the history of Texas from Paleolithic times until now, <laughs> which is 
Uh, my wife was from out of state and she thinks that this is crazy when she became a public I, school teacher here. <laughs> always, I always ask people if they have those, those classes and some States do. I like, I think Ohio does and, and maybe even mm-hmm. New Jersey does, but the Texas one, as you point out, the book is a tome. Oh yeah. It's and, fantastic. Uh, but I'll defy you to find a chapter on slavery. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it, you know, as you know, it's a fairly big discussion right now around here. So, um, and, uh, but yeah, I think it does define that. And I think, you know, somewhat of the Texas mythos ends up driving a lot of these discussions, just like the American myth drives a lot of these discussions as well, where we we're fiercely independent. And what always has fascinated me about that argument is, is, oh, we're fiercely independent. And it's like, no, we're not the foundations of our state are community driven. They're driven by the fact that we had to rely on each other in these small communities to, to build the state that we've built this myth around. And it's not true. And I think, you know, Texas to a certain extent and the national discussion here um, gets defined by its politics. And um, although here the last year or so it has been defined by its politics and the battles across um, both COVID guidelines and uh, numerous other political topics, um, you know, that, but Texas isn't that. It's almost like that whole idea of us when we were growing up, it was like, you know, Texas politics isn't something that you take seriously. Um, we take seriously things that deserve seriousness like high school football. Yeah. And, uh, right. And, uh, you know, I had a political science teacher my freshman year in college, you know, tell me that we're supposed to dedicate three weeks of political science 101 uh, to the study of Texas govern- government. And he said, but I choose to use my political science time to discuss developed forms of government <laughs> and we're going to spend the next two days on it. <laughs> and I, I mean, that that's really, I'm so glad you brought these issues up because it's, this is the level that often gets missed. Again, if you just sort of look at <clears throat> table of statistics across States, I mean, I remember pretty early in the pandemic, my father who's been a guest on COVID calls and ha- has been fastidious about COVID. <laughs> And has done everything and then some um, to protect himself and and his family. Um, but one of the earliest things that he wanted to talk to me about was college football season and whether or not right. the Longhorns were going to play in the fall because there was this idea maybe they wouldn't even play right in the fall of 2020 or or were they going to play in an empty stadium? And if you've been to that stadium, I mean that's kind of a crazy idea. What yeah. is that going to look like? It was kind of a fascination of his, and and I thought he was sort of joking at first, but but over that summer I realized like no, I mean this is this is actually going to drive public health decisions in yeah. the South around whether or not these teams are going to play and who's going to be in the stadium. Well, and and there's there's an identity that's driven through this, right? Um, good, bad whatever you want to call it. And there's good and bad to both sides of it um, to a certain extent. It's, it's, you know, but, you know, we, we grew up in an era of, you know, of 
towns being defined by their football programs, right? Um, you know, Friday Night Lights, which is a fictional TV series, started off as a nonfiction book about the Odessa Permian Panthers. Yeah. The games that are described in that book are games that I attended. Yeah. Right? And sure. and I know all of those characters as well as, you know, there's been a couple of, there's been a documentary that's come out recently about the Carter Cowboys in South Dallas and them getting their state title taken away and things like that. And that these communities, even while a lot of them, a lot of the way things are portrayed is, is that they're these small towns that, that's the only thing that's going on. Well, Carter's an inner city school in yeah. South Dallas, right? Um, South Oak Cliff. <laughs> we're going to go off on the football tangent for a second. Let's do South it. Oak Cliff uh, just won their state championship in 4A. Um, and, you know, South Oak Cliff hasn't ever won a state championship. And South Oak Cliff, not a decade ago, was almost disbanded because of lack of performance at an academic level. Um, And those things have all been turned around at numerous levels. And some of that gets driven by athletics and not always in a bad way. Um, You know, it draws attention to a school and then they're like, Hey, this school's the state champions. Look at the disrepair that's infrastructure of the school. Look at what these kids are doing despite their environment. We should be helping them out. We should be doing more. Um, and it draws attention to that. Um, and it's yeah. true, you know. Um, and, you know, it goes the other way. You know, sure. there, are, <laughs> there are high schools in Texas that get investigated for, you know, shipping players in and play, paying for their homes to play high school football for them. That has I happened think- as well, you know. I- <laughs> Yeah, I think this is one of the layers that's just, it's really important. It's around sport, could be around church, mm-hmm. but it's a way of understanding the pandemic at a at a culturally specific level. I'm not trying to get fancy on you, but I'm just, I just, oh, no, I, no. I think if you, if you, you just may have to explain it to me. As I have, as I have, I have felt a lot of, um, I think rage is fair. I've got, um, sure family working in the public schools. I've got family who uh, have, you know, who may be medically vulnerable. Um, not all of them have followed best health practices. Mm-hmm. Some of them have refused to be vaccinated. It's been hard for me to deal with sure. that. And, and, but I keep coming back to, and so you try to reduce it. It's like, well, you either have correct behavior or incorrect behavior in terms of protection against COVID. But if you don't factor some of these other things in, mm-hmm. and there's many other things to factor in, which we'll talk about in terms of misinformation and, and sure. forces who are actively working to misguide people, um, you will not ever be able to understand those, those numbers. You'll never be able to understand why so many people have chosen not to be vaccinated or who insisted that football keep going or that church services yeah. meet in person. Well, and, and, you know, um, I'm glad that you mentioned church. I have family members that I think that the closing of churches drove that narrative for them. The, the narrative of, you know, no mask, you know, it, of the government mandating that, you know, that they can't worship God. And that's a, that's a very powerful 
that's a very powerful thing an idea to work against. I mean, <laughs> you know, those are some things that that um, are very important to folks here, you know, and that if you're telling me that I can't I can't go to church, then you're literally severing parts of my soul away from me. And when you start putting it like that, people are like, oh, I didn't think about it that way because I don't go to church or whatever it is. Right. Um, and I mean, even people who can look at the science yeah. and see what see what's being said and see what's not being said, uh, but because it becomes emotional at that point in time, it's not about it's not about the facts. That's what it boils down to. It's about yeah. limiting uh, my ability to live my life the way I want to live my life. What were those discussions like in your in your family? I mean, you know, I'm my parents divorced, both remarried, so I kind of have two. Families with yep. lots of brothers and sisters on both sides. And it's but yep. kind of an interesting contrast. On one side, everybody has followed every, you know, every um, public health uh, rule. And on the other side, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, early on, there were some suggestions to me to check out ivermectin and, and other things. And I just... I didn't go further with that discussion with that side of my family because I sure. knew what they were. I knew they weren't going to get vaccinated and they got COVID they've recovered. But I mean, Russ, it, yeah. dude, it's been, it's been hard, man. I mean, I, yeah. I get so angry. Yeah. about Yeah. And, and, and that's something I've been working on as well. Cause I definitely get worked up and angry um, this last week and a half um with the with the transgender executive order that came out and all that here in Texas um that hits real close to home for me and i am you know pretty furious about it um but i'm also trying to get to where we combat we combat it with facts we combat it with their own rhetoric Right. If you think masks are government control, why is the state government stepping in and telling me what the best medical procedures are for my children um, when I am consulting with a medical professional? Sure. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, in. You know, in two years or whatever, you know, we're also like making laws and deciding to criminalize something that doesn't exist. And you know, that's going to eat up resources, number one, um, and monetary resources. And number two, you know, the Texas Family Protective Services System for decades has been notoriously rife with sexual assault cases and sexual abuse cases in the foster care system. Right. And we're not, we're going to take money away from investigating that to investigating families that are actually trying to get care. And the fact of the matter is we already have laws that address medical malpractice in cases that where the wrong medical decision was made for a child. We already have laws in place. We don't need to isolate a single community um, because they don't match up with our ideas of what we think people should be. That's not what America was based on. That's not what the constitution was based on. And I get real tired of 
being preached at about constitution and original intent and freedom and all of that. And that masks are about government control and vaccines are about government control. And then when I turn around, you know, Oh, we're, we're doing it to protect the kids. It's like, you don't care about the kids. If you cared about the kids, you would be actually doing things to help children and not trying to actively isolate it, isolate certain communities. And also like looking at, you know, how we treat children in poverty. We, we, we don't care about that. We only care about the things that allow us to own the libs to a certain extent. I mean, it's but something I'm, I, I yeah. hadn't thought about it quite this way till you were talking about it, putting something together here, which is that it's not just um, pressures. So let's, I mean, let's talk about the South. We're talking about Texas, we're talking yeah. about places yeah. where there might be uh, pretty uh, wide varieties in one family of approaches to COVID. Yep. Um, that's not the first time any of these families, certainly not the first time in my family, we disagree about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're talking also about the, the role of the state actually increasing yeah. the pressure on family. So it's right. like, let's, let's throw one more thing on top. You thought that you, sure. it was enough to argue about vaccines and masks and whether or not you should play football or go back to school in the middle of a pandemic. Let's also talk about an issue, as you said, which doesn't affect most families, but we'd like you to argue Hardly about any. it anyway. Yeah. But let's have Hardly you argue any. about transfers. I mean, that's the, Again, that's what sticks in my craw, this idea of a sort of limited government rhetoric in Texas, when the government is constantly creating stress on the family unit at the time when the family needs to read. You can disagree in a family and still support one another. Right. And that's correct. And that and that's the key. And the state doesn't need to get involved in that. No, it doesn't. Um, And I'm talking about not necessarily not all just the state of Texas, but I'm just talking about big state. Yeah, sure. Um, because I do agree with certain limited government ideas. It's just that where I want limited government and where they want limited government are completely different things, right? Yeah. It, it, it's like I I believe in personal freedom, and the challenge that I was before I got you you got me worked up. Um, <laughs> uh, I know it wasn't your fault; it was me. Um, but. Uh, you know, where I've been trying to redirect that anger is through education, but also really challenging myself to be empathetic to why this rhetoric is developing in the first place, right? Um, many of our family members, due to the media, the echo chamber, the media echo chambers they're in, um, due to um, some of the media media echo, echo chambers they're not in and that they're railing against um, feel under attack. And it's like, why mm. do you feel under attack? And it's that conversation about, well, what's really happening, you know, is, is that, you know, they have been operating from the scarcity mindset for so long that they think somehow that if, 
transphobic or not transphobic, if transgendered children have rights that they have or gay people have rights that they have or anyone, you know, that somehow that's going to take away their rights when they don't really spin it and look at it as if everybody has the same rights right. and nobody feels minimalized or, or marginalized, then we all win. And there isn't a scarcity of natural human rights, right? There's only this idea that we have to move forward to where if everybody gets the same level of respect, which they're not, and, you know, the ironic thing about it is, is to me, a lot of these movements um, over the past, well, through the pandemic as well, is a lot of these conservative Christian right-wing thinkers and talkers are finally being treated like the minorities that are finally getting a voice. Hmm. And what they realize is that that sucks, but they think that the only way that they can respond against that is by making sure that we, you know, restrict voting rights, that we make sure that we marginalize them further so that they feel like they can't talk anymore. Yeah. If we shout them down, they're not. And so my goal is just to not shout yeah. people back down, but actually have the conversation of, hey, let's talk about it. And if we can't talk about it, you know, putting it in the family dynamic, it's like, I'm never not going to love you, brother. It's not going to happen. We may not be able to talk to one another. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got that. Love I've got is that. Always good. When, whenever you, whenever yeah. you want to come back around to talk, I am here. I've got that with one of mine right now. Let me yeah, just remind and- folks that you're listening to COVID calls. I'm talking to Russ Farr today about uh, family work and life in Texas in the middle of a pandemic. And the way to say that is I'm talking to one of my dearest, oldest friends on COVID calls today, which is a delight for me. And um, I want to um, I want to shift over a little bit, Russ. I want to talk sure. about um, your experience of work in this pandemic. Because, uh, you know, the economy has been disrupted multiple times. And, you know, if people look at the macro economy, you look at the Dow. I was talking about this yesterday with Ksenia Chamutina about this. Like, yeah, from a neoliberal perspective, you say, hey, looks like the economy is pandemic proof. Right. When you talk to real people, you know that 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 is not the story. What's your experience, Ben? Um, so economically, well, I mean, you know, back pandemic kicked off, uh, I was working for a startup doing fresh, healthy takeout. Um, they managed to, while they reduced footprint, uh, on retail and then started trying to expand direct to consumer, um, they managed to hang on to me about six months and then they had to let me go. Um, so you know, for six months of the pandemic, I was, I was out of work. Um, and so I was unemployed, um, and then went through the expanded unemployment benefits and then went through the not expanded unemployment benefits and then went through out of unemployment benefits. And, uh, so that was all challenging. Right. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, luckily enough, I ran out of unemployment at the same time I got another job. Um, so 
and then I, I bounced through a couple of jobs until I landed at the one I'm in now, which was actually the the target the entire time. Um, Why did and, the company uh, have to let you go early in the pandemic? You made it six months in, but what was the what was the story with them? I mean, they just literally couldn't <laughs> that people were not shopping, people were not buying their product, or they were they used it as an opportunity to do some restructure. Like, what's the story? All of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it was a combination of all those factors. Um, you know, I had been with the company for five and a half years. Uh, I started off as like a distribution manager and delivery manager for the Dallas market, expanded that market from six stores to, I think, 24 at one point in time. Then we centralized the whole thing. I created a hub and spoke distribution system for all of Texas, yeah. went up to like 48, took over Whole Foods, did all that. Well, when we started pulling everything back, I was getting paid for, you know, a guy who's managing a three market hub and spoke system across a hundred stores. It's, and now we have 10 stores yeah. and are trying to, you know, make a direct consumer shift on the fly to a direct consumer model and make it profitable. Well, guess what you don't need is a guy who can, who's a multi-market manager who yeah. <laughs> can do what I did, you know? And, you know, the fact that they held on to me for six months as opposed to like April letting me go. Um, and they people... even like reduced my salary in April, gave it back yeah. to me and then laid me off. <laughs> it's really interesting. Cause I mean, I think is, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I, no, it, but it, you know, people, people can tell from this conversation, like you're, you're a real, you're a real face-to-face guy. You're good on the phone too, but like, like you're, you're not the person you want to put in charge of some like um, delivery distribution, you know, internet-based kind of fulfillment service. Like you really shine when it comes to working face-to-face with people and, and growing that market and working with people who have to get the job done. I mean, that's your real super, it's your superpower, man. And, and so I'm, I think that's, you were not, your skills were not made for that inflection point of the mm-hmm. sort of like, we're going to move everything now up online and get it to people at their home and never speak to them. All right. That doesn't, that's not a rest for model, I don't think. Yeah. And it was, you know, and it was also just, you know, trying to streamline and reduce production costs and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I mean, not that, I mean, my role wasn't exactly a public facing role, but at that um, at that breadth, it was a lot it was managing a lot of people right but and 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 not just managing my all my direct reports, but also you know I would have you know at one point in time we had forty five plus stores, so I had forty five general managers that are also yeah. coming to me with whatever issues that they had for that day so um, and so we, we were working through that as well. So it was a lot of a lot of people management type stuff. And then as that reduced, um, you know, my skill set didn't. My skill set and, you know, not my I won't say my financial needs, but my skill set and, you know, what my expectations were after five and a half years with the company, you know, those weren't ever going to realign. It wasn't it just wasn't going to happen. And I had gotten fairly burned out. I mean, we had made yeah. pivot after pivot after pivot. And yeah, you know, to a certain extent, start. I got one raise in five and a half years. And it was an awesome raise, by the way. I'll give full credit. <laughs> but so how did, it was, so how, did you, how did you land? Uh, so I 
um, had to make some pivots and some hard choices uh, based off of what I needed, you know, to do. Um, I didn't, I had some opportunities. We had a third party distribution company that was going to offer me a, you know, that would give me a position, basically transition to do my same job over there for them. Um, it wasn't something that I particularly, I was burned out at the time. I didn't want to particularly move to. Um, and so I didn't. And that was pretty challenging because I had for about the first month and a half, I had some real kind of opportunities. And then for four or five, well, for the next like five and a half months, my resume is real weird. It's real hard for someone to look at it through an online, you know, hiring system and go, oh, I know how to use this guy. Um, And, you know, it's in the middle of the pandemic. And like you kind of said, I'm a people person. You don't really get what I am until you like meet me, talk to me and like get get to know me a little bit. And so you know, it was a real challenge. It was like, I probably put out, you know, I applied for hundreds of jobs. Right. And, um, and it was, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I did a lot of stuff of reaching out to people. Um, you know, the company that I am working for now, I discovered back in 2018 and, you know, loved what they were doing and the ideas behind it. Uh, but they weren't based anywhere really in Texas. Um, and then when they started hiring in Texas, I started applying for that job and got an interview. Didn't get chosen. Um, actually like that particular job got pushed back and then I didn't get kind of called back, got pushed back months, not like, and I didn't get a call back on that. So I just kept on applying. And then I like went in and networked on LinkedIn and kind of with people who worked for that, for this company and looked at what they did mm-hmm. and said, okay. So a lot of them have previous automotive. A lot of them have, you know, this, a lot of them work for a competitor, worked for a competitor. And uh, I said, okay, so I need some automotive experience, need some environmental experience. So the next job that became available to me that I got hired was traditional automotive sales, um, which I did for about six to eight weeks. Um, absolutely did not like it. Um, yeah. While I'm a people person, I am not That's an automotive, I'm not a car salesman, yeah, um, yeah. which is fine. I mean, I worked with some really freaking awesome people who are car salesmen, and they were really, really good at it. And I am not. <laughs> And, and they are awesome. Right. And, uh, and then, um, I had gotten a call back from another job that was doing solar. Um, so it was in the environmental space again. And I took that job, um, jumped to that job and then finally got started getting callbacks from the company that I'm at now and, and kind of lined it all up. And, you know, I was like, well, what did it for you guys? Well, Notice you had some previous automotive experience. I like your logistical background. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that you're working in solar didn't hurt at all. You know, we're an environmental company. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I just lined it all up and, and made sure that that's what you had to do. And, and you know, I had a plan, but it wasn't always going to be what – it wasn't always going to work out. I I, I kind of – I like, you know, when I took the car salesman job, it was like, okay, cool. I'm selling cars. That's what I do. And I'm going to dive in. Um, and then same thing with, 
with solar. Um, solar was real up my, it was uh, installation coordination. So it was like making sure I talked to the customers. Customers knew what the crews were going to need. The crews knew what I need. Crews knew what to tell me what they needed. I knew how to get everybody lined up. That's what I used to do for years as a stagehand, as a job lead as, as a stagehand. So um, that was up my up my alley. I really liked that job, but this was the company that I always wanted to work for. So, so for people who are just tuning in, I'm talking to Russ Farr on COVID calls, and we're talking about life and work in the middle of this pandemic. And so, in the last, if I got this right, in the last 36 months, you've worked in uh, food preparation, management, and distribution. You've worked in auto sales. You've worked in solar, and now you landed with Rivian, and mm-hmm. I have thought about that in a couple of different ways. I've had a lot of. Oh, calls. and I was unemployed. Let's not forget that and the, the hardest job that I had was unemployed. Right. <laughs> well, also you're a dad. Yeah. So I mean, there's other there's other non compensated um, work that people know about in the middle of this pandemic and what that's meant in, in helping teenagers particularly cope with distance learning and things like that. So I don't want to leave that out. But um, yep, this has been an environmental. This I think uh, this pandemic has, in different ways, sometimes surprising ways, brought environmental issues of climate change to the fore. And now we're in the midst of watching this mm-hmm. atrocity in Ukraine. And, you know, we hear this constantly reported, and I think it's more or less true. I mean, the only thing Russia has to offer to the world economically is oil and gas. Yep. And so, you, I mean, you're working for a company that's disrupting that system. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the goal. And I think, you know, one of the things that I like working for Rivian um, and I, you know, we're kind of in the new if if you follow EV companies, we're in the news. We had some some things drop this week, but I won't go into those. But uh, it um, the thing I love about working for Rivian is, is that it's the first company that I've worked for that I and that is attacking not only environmental change in a responsible way, um, but also in, you know, I spoke briefly about scarcity mindset a little bit earlier too. It's, it's this idea, like we look at the media and we fall into these like media maelstroms about stuff, right? We, you know, I was thinking about it today and this is going to, this is out there, but I mean, this has been a, you picked a, a heck of a week to talk to me. Um, I feel like I'm in, uh, I'm in a starry, starry night with all the swirls. It's like, I'm in this one, I'm in this one, I'm in this one now. And I'm just getting passed from one to the other. And it's, it's, uh, it's been challenging. And, um, but we get into this scarcity mindset. Like one of the things we get talked about a lot is, oh, Rivian's challenging to be the next Tesla. And it's like, no, we don't, we don't really want to be the next Tesla. We want Tesla to be Tesla. We want Rivian to be Rivian. And there's a billion cars on the roads in the world today, and they're all caught speeding us towards not speeding the climate disaster. You and I have already talked about this, and you talk about this a lot. Is already going on. Yeah, there's no going towards it. It's here. We're, yeah. We're you know it. how, and and you know some people talk about it as you know the the world is going to you know the world's fine. The planet's going to be just fine. If you, if you need any indication of how the planet's going to be, go back to the first six weeks of the pandemic when nobody was driving and think about how clear the skies were. Yeah, That's what you need to know. And that's what we have to work towards. 
Um, the planet's going to heal itself just fine. It's just whether it decides to do it with us on it or not. That's the key. Um, and we have some control over whether we, do, we, we get to stick around or not. And so it's not going to take one company to corner the market, right? It's going to take all the companies to corner the market. The more the Chevys, GMs, or I mean, the more that the GMs, the Fords, the Stellantis get involved in this, you know, uh, the Japanese makers and the Chinese makers get involved in this, the quicker we get to a place where we can actually make some progress with the with the climate change. And the thing that really, really decided that about me for me was when, you know, Ford GM and the major automakers, um, while Trump was in office, said we will be all electric by 2040. They're not making that decision because they think the electric car is the best thing for the environment. They're making that decision because it makes sense monetarily. Sure. Um, and, and it's important to think that way. And, um, you know, and it's important to think about things holistically and, and like, um, with an abundance mindset, you know, as opposed to a scarcity mindset, we can't possibly make all the electric cars in the world. There's no, there's no company that can do that. We should all be working together to figure out a way to make that happen. Right. Um, it's challenging, um, in a market economy because people want to corner the market and they want to be the best and they want to, or what I'll, I won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's like, uh, best is relative. They want to be the most profitable. They really don't care about being the best. Um, most, most large market companies do not care about that. Um, but if we can make climate change in the sense of, kind of pulling us back from this precipice, a market driven thing. We're not getting out of the market economy anytime soon to where everybody like, you know, lives, you know, the Star Trek uh, utopia where you all have replicators yeah. and everybody has what they need. Right. It's just not, we're just, it, we're, it's not going to happen for another five centuries, apparently. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it, it's that idea of, you know, once it becomes the thing to do, that's when we can make these changes and it's creating products and mindsets and educating people on what is possible and focusing on the optimism and the positivity of the things, as opposed to looking at all the negative things, there's plenty of negative and we focus so much on it and it's hard. Um, It's exhausting. It's exhausting to fight the negativity with the positivity. I had a bit of a, I went down a, a media rabbit hole earlier today where it was just like all bad news. And, yeah. and I was, I, I, I was like, I literally thought of this conversation and went, I don't know if I could do this, <laughs> but I, yeah. you know, well, I, I, I could pull it out. I could pull it out. I'm good. Well, that's why friendship is good, right? You you get what, <laughs> right. you get what you need. We can go negative or we can go positive. Life is complicated right. and we can talk about what we need to. I'm proud of you for, for taking this job. I'm proud of you for surviving this. I mean, well, yeah. And, and, and I think it's also like you're just a great spokesperson. Everything you just, that whole riff you were just on is a way to answer the IPCC report that just came out. But it's in a way that it's sort of talking about intergenerational issues that's talking about um you talk about the sort of moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset and then also just like common sense 
around economic transition, which will have enormous geopolitical impacts. I want to just be cognizant of time. We're going yep. to wrap um, up here in a couple of minutes, but I, um, all right. So picture, if you will, <laughs> right. Uh, let's say sometime in 1991, uh, uh, James McMurtry, Robert O'Keen Jr., Boy Dog Pondering, that's one you hadn't yep. thought about in a while. Blues Traveler, um, we're driving in your pickup truck. Uh, all right, so we did, you know, Texas. I know that's a cliche, but there we were. And that music um, has been sustaining to me, a lot of that music, even to now. You and I have always sure. talked about music. Absolutely. And, and often in the hardest times of our lives. Yeah. That we will talk about what's going on in our lives, but then we we're talking about music. So I guess my question is, what have you been listening to? <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of folks uh, in the last six months that I've discovered um, have in a lot of ways saved me from my own, you know, abyss, I guess you could say, of my own mind by actually voicing things that I think about. And these are dark, dark songs, uh, a lot of them, <laughs> some of them. and uh, But it's that idea that, oh, there's another person out there, right? And there's a person who says it better than I can ever describe it. Um, and uh, one of those guys is uh, a guy here from East Dallas, um, he just released his third album. His name's Joshua Ray Walker. And I'm like, I pester you constantly. Go listen to this. Go listen to this now. Um, and uh, he's he's just got a, a way about his songwriting. Is You know, the song that, that hooked me was a song called Voices, which is a song about suicide <laughs> um and one of the opening lines is uh is i stare at my reflection at the bottles behind the bar and uh you know not to go too deep but we've all been we've been in certain places in our lives where that rings whether it was an actual physical manis manifestation that definitely rings true um to where we were in our mindset right and the fact that somebody could say it so elegantly and so clearly, you're like, oh, my God, that's that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, he has a I can't remember that that song's voices. He's got three albums out and they're not all this dark. It was and I'm not this dark either. It's just that idea of having knowing that there are other people out there that are facing their demons as well as you are mm -hmm. and that your demons uh, are close to you. But you're also realize that everybody else is facing those down as well right um you know he he has another song off i think off the first album and i can't remember the name of it but one of the first lines is uh i laid in bed for an hour just to make sure that god didn't make a mistake and forgot to take me in my sleep <laughs> it's just that kind of powerful name you're like what yeah uh, who says that you know, but um, and then the other person that I'm listening to, I'm listening to a lot of Americana um, over the last two years. Jason Isbell, um, Lifesaver. Um, if I could and, only get uh, Jason Isbell to come on COVID calls and talk about writing songs during this pandemic. It, it, right. Um, and yeah. then all that, you know, like um, I haven't been listening as much as 
much of my Texas guys, McMurtry. Um, he's not speaking to he, you right now. He's not. He's not. I haven't. I haven't listened to it. And it's you not. Know what I, it's I went not, back. It's to, it's not coming through. Yeah, I went back to that song. Uh, you know that song. It's actually a Kinky Friedman song, but you know the Wild Man from Borneo. Yeah, 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 that yeah. Song. I'm the Wild Man oh, from man. Borneo. Yeah. 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 Um, come to well, see what you want to see, but you come to see, but you never come to know. I, at various moments in the pandemic, that has really, that song has come back to me. I love that song. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know, and, and I think some of the music from that time that calls back to those things, <laughs> um, that comes back to uh, those ideas, you know, Robert, Robert O'Keen, James McMurtry takes me to a very visceral place in my memory, right? Sure. And and so the new stuff, when I try and listen to the things, I don't have a memory that anchors me to that music, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. No, I, totally um, makes where sense. he's grown, where we've just grown, we're not divergent, and we're have the same roots. And I love it, the music, but it's also like it doesn't. I'm in a different place. And it doesn't anchor to what I was, what I'm doing now, or what I, yeah. what I'm thinking now. And I'm actually like working diligently. Like if you send me music, I'm like, listen to that for a little while because you've got to get out of these, yeah. out of these ruts you're in. Um, and I so, hear some of that, but I hear some of that old music with new ears too. I went back. Yeah. To, I went back to. Um, oh. I went back to Redheaded Stranger two weeks ago. Oh yeah. And I heard so, that. I heard that music differently. Yeah. So yeah, go back to Redheaded Stranger. Here's a here's a here's one for you. Go to Redheaded Stranger and listen to Redheaded Stranger, and then listen to Sturgill Simpson's ballad of uh, is it Benny and June? No, not that's the movie. Uh, I can't remember. It's June and or Juanita and. That's Hold right. On. Everybody's everybody's got the internet. Sturg- to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, find it. Find Sturgill Simpson as his most recent yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he wrote a concept album along the lines of Redheaded Stranger, inspired by the Let- Redheaded Stranger, but nothing like other than the music. And it's fantastic. Sturgill's been fantastic. Uh, Morgan Wade, um, she's got an album out called Wilder, Wilder Days. I've been playing the crap out of that. Um, it ended up being Rolling Stones best like number one new country album of the year. And Joshua's most recent album was like the number six one. Hmm. Um, I felt kind of vindicated that I had chosen decent music at that point in time, no matter how you feel about Rolling Stone, but yeah, well um, we should wrap up. I, the other thing, yeah. um, just a couple other notes on music that uh, uh, I have taken a lot of, comfort from Joni Mitchell as I always do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even Phoebe Bridgers who I never listened to before and Sif John Stevens and writers who yeah. write about writers who are really good about writing about Ill- illness and okay. loss yeah. but also who had the skills to to write the music which can sometimes tell a, a um, sympathetic story. I mean, Sufjan Stevens is genius at that. I mean, you've got the words, but then there's something else happening behind going the scenes. On there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I found a lot of solace in that music in this in this time, and and maybe um, 
you know, more than any Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, I've been taking a little bit deeper dive, uh, back into like Aretha and then, um, Sam and Dave and, oh, yeah. um, some of the older R and B stuff. And that was inspired by like Leon Bridges and black. Yeah, sure. It's like, you know, um, there's another guy you should check out that I didn't share with you yet. His name's Charlie Crockett. He's another Texas singer songwriter. I heard about his I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. So he does a, he does a cover of big iron, you mm-hmm. know, the, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was Roger Miller song, big yeah. iron on your hip kind of thing. Yeah. But all of his music is phenomenal. Like it, it like his original stuff sounds like a Roger Miller or a um, Slim Whitman or, you know, from that like kind of route 66. Yeah, sure. It, oh, and it's fantastic. I'll check that out. You and yeah. my brother Dave have both told me this now, so now I have to do it because. Oh of- yeah, has he been telling you about Charlie Crockett? Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, you got it. You'll you'll absolutely dig it. Um, I was listening to it on KXT on the the cool. the local alternative adult right. acute triple A whatever. And the first time I heard him, I was like, "Oh my god, they're playing this song!" And then I realized that's not that song. That's that's a new guy. <laughs> We better wrap up. Yes, sir. This could this could go on another hour in this way. Sure. Um, but yeah. I just want to remind folks you've been listening to COVID calls, and you can usually catch COVID calls at um, 7 p.m. Eastern time weekdays, although these days you can catch COVID calls around the clock. And uh, I just want to thank my friend Russ Farr for making time to talk on COVID calls. And um, your friendship means a lot to me. This conversation means a lot to me. Um, it's good to see you doing well. I love you. And uh, thanks for being on. Hey, man, I love you too. One, one last thing. I'm. I want you to know. Don't be embarrassed by this, but I'm super proud of you for doing this. I don't know how you do it. Uh, it's. I don't get to listen as much as I'd like. And it's that's right. It's really, all archived. Really you just make some time. <laughs> I know. Just make I just some go, time. Go back and look. And so I just really appreciate you. I'm really proud of you for doing this. Um, yeah, it's just been phenomenal. So keep up the good work. Thanks for that, buddy. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on COVID Calls.